and welcome to this month's Data Monitor podcast series. In this month's podcast, we will be discussing the skin diseases, atopic dermatitis and psoriasis. The first half of our discussion will look at the role of JAK and IL-31 inhibitors in atopic dermatitis, with the second half focusing on drugs and psoriasis, including UCBs, bimikizumab, which was recently approved in Europe, and type 2 inhibitors. Joining me, I have my first returning guest, Data Monitor's Pammy Spicer. Hi. As well as a new guest, Scripps, Kevin Grogan. Hello, good afternoon, good evening, and uh, lovely to be here. Uh, thanks for joining me both. Um, so let's get this show on the road. Um, Pammy, can you take us through the atopic, atopic dermatitis landscape, please? Okay, so yeah. Um... Atopic dermatitis is a very heterogeneous dermatological condition that is characterized by itch. Topical agents are the primary treatment for uh, mild to moderate disease. So these include topical corticosteroids, which are effective, though safety concerns do limit their long-term use. Um, and then there are also steroid sparing agents like topical calcineurin inhibitors and Eucrisa, which is a PD4 um, topical agent approved for milder disease. When you move into the more severe disease, um, you, you're going to see Dupixent is the first biologic agent to be approved. Um, and this is for patients who are unresponsive to those topical therapies. Um, Patients who receive Dupixent, they can be effectively managed on the drug, which is deemed safe. Um, and dermatolog dermatologists are very familiar with the conjunctivitis side effect, um, and they're comfortable managing this side effect. So it is a very good option. Um, immunosuppressants like methotrexate and cyclosporin are also available. Non-biologic systemic agents to treat atopic dermatitis in adults. Um, needs in the space include just many more treatment options. We have Dupixent in the post-topical settings, but there are just a dearth of options in this available in moderate to severe disease. And especially for patients who have suboptimal response to Dupixent, they're just kind of stuck. Um, so atopic dermatitis kind of has been described as being where psoriasis was 20 years ago. And now psoriasis has many highly effective biologic options. Um, though Dupixent is great, because it's safe and it works to some extent, the depth of response is not nearly the same as the complete disease clearance that you do see with psoriasis biologics. Um, there are several late phase and new to market options for atopic dermatitis, and these include those JAK inhibitors and some biologics, but I don't think this market will necessarily follow psoriasis and finding a single pathway um, that produces these high clearance rates just because of just the heterogeneity in this disease. So. Um, that's kind of a brief overview of what's going on in the landscape of atopic dermatitis right now. Thanks for that, Pammy. Um, can you talk us through some of these exciting new prospects in the atopic dermatitis field? So, you know, possibly some some of the jacks, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so jack inhibitors, they've been garnering a lot of attention lately um, due to their high efficacy, but also more broadly, they've been getting some negative press in terms of their safety concerns. Um, these generally, the safety concerns generally pertain to the systemic oral JAK inhibitors, and these include AbbVie's Rinvoc, which is Abdacitinib, Pfizer's Senbico, which is Abrocitinib, and um, the less efficacious Illumiant or Baricitinib from Lilly. There are also some, there's a topical JAK inhibitor, Obsolora, which recently gained approval, and a TIC2 inhibitor, Ducravacitinib from BMS, that's being developed for psoriasis. Um, that also does fall under the JAK family. So if we kind of dig deeper into these options, there's Obsolora. Um, and looking at this topical jack, it recently gained approval in the U.S. 
The drug does include these significant safety warnings due to the glass effect, though dermatologists, they don't really view this with the same regard since there's little systemic absorption. So it's still early, um, but they're not too concerned about these warnings and um, that stem from this, you know, these safety concerns. And they're also not concerned as much about some other um, components to the label for this drug that probably as well stem from an FDA's kind of class effect. So this is contraindicated for use with biologics. It's also kind of got a short-term use requirement. And dermatologists in the U.S. just aren't really as concerned about those. Um, the drug works much better than Eucrisa, um and doesn't seem to have the same amount of application site burning. Um, though there were some complaints from early, early, it's still early, but some dermatologists who have, patients who have used it have complained about how greasy the formulation is. Um, and so that's kind of an overview of the topical jack. Now moving on to systemic jacks, um, dermatologists expect to use these in a few different ways within atopic dermatitis. Um, these offer a second or third line option, and that's depending on what happens to IL-13 antagonists. Um, and these are for patients who, these will be kind of positioned for patients who suboptimally respond to dipixent or who see adverse effects on dipixent. So we talked about conjunctivitis, um, but also there's exacerbations of head and neck dermatitis as well. Um, oral JEC inhibitors, they also serve as an alternative to injectables for patients who may be needle averse. And to some small extent, this might expand the market a little bit. Um, Despite excitement for additional options, uh, dermatologists are cautious for with these JAK inhibitors just because of their safety concerns. So that will slow kind of the initial uptake for launch as they get more comfortable with them and kind of see how they shake out in this setting. Um, the US FDA recently completed a review of a large post-marketing safety study, which showed an increased risk of serious cardiovascular events with the PANJAC inhibitor Zeljans as compared to TNF blockers. And this was in rheumatoid arthritis. But this is really the thing. Um, these concerns, these cardiovascular events are what's really driving these safety you know, warnings being attached to these labels. And it's also kind of pushed back the approval of these JAK inhibitors in atopic dermatitis as the FDA takes more time to consider um, the drug in this setting. So even though they may still be approved, they're probably going to see a strict black box warning. Um, and, you know, there is some debate. The arthritis population is generally older and how much that will translate to the patients that dermatologists would be treating is kind of debatable. Um, but regardless, dermatologists may be looking to rheumatologists who are more familiar with prescribing this class for advice around kind of the monitoring requirements, patient selection, duration of treatment, and those sort of logistical things um, as these drugs come onto the market. While the FDA is taking a more cautious approach to JAK inhibitors, European regulators have been more relaxed. They also, that includes um, approving a higher dose of Illumiant, which was not made available for rheumatologists in the U.S. Now, in atopic dermatitis, at least, Illumiant is the least efficacious of the options that I've mentioned, the three um, JAK inhibitors. Both Rinvoc and Simbico can rival or beat Dupixent early on. Um, but physicians may be inclined to stick with their more familiar tried and true Dupixent that they've been using for a long time. It seems to work. Um, and even though early, you know, data early on shows that the JAK inhibitors might do better initially, Dupixent does catch up with them in terms of efficacy. So that safety trade-off might be worth the wait. Um, between, um, 
Simbiko and Rinvok. Rinvok is expected to take the top share, um, with Illumiant being kind of last place because of the low efficacy. Um, it's perceived to just have the best data. There's position familiar, some degree of position familiarity with Rinvok. And also AbbVie has just been phenomenal at securing early access on formularies. So that's probably going to play a role there as well. Um, those, so that's kind of an overview of the JAK, and, JAK inhibitors in terms of atopic dermatitis. We'll get into um, talk a little bit about the um, TIC2 inhibitor later, ducrevacitinib, when we kind of move into psoriasis. Um, but another class that is expected to see use in the coming years are IL-13 antagonists. And this includes AstraZeneca's Adtralza, which is tralokinumab, and Lebrachizumab. These are direct blockers of IL the IL-13 cytokine. And these contrast with Dupixent, which blocks the IL-4 receptor and has downstream effects on IL-13. So there was hope that these would kind of avoid that conjunctivitis signal and side effects seen with Dupixent while maintaining efficacy, but unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. Um, these are seen as having a similar safety profile, so there's still cases of conjunctivitis where patients' eyes are turning red um, coming up with these drugs as well. Um, Atralza does not seem to work as well as Dupixent, um, though Lebrachizumab, that may prove a worthy rival. Um, pending results, obviously, further details from the phase three program. And I believe, Kevin, I believe you um, talked to the CMO of Almoral and, and you maybe have some more perspective on this, um, on the prospects for Lebrachizumab. Yes, Pam. Uh, Pammy, thanks very much for that. Yes, I had um, a chat with, uh, as you say, the CMO, um, a gentleman called Volker Koshelny, a very nice chap indeed. And obviously, Almoral have the European rights to Lebrachizumab. And they are extremely excited about this, as you can imagine. Um, and it was interesting. He was saying that, because obviously Almoral are also very big in psoriasis. And they're a dermatology company. Um, and when I was asking really whether he thinks that um, atomic dermatitis is going the way of psoriasis, being a massively crowded market and all sorts of things going on, and whether there'd be a place for about given the, the dominance in the biologic side, anyway, of the Pixons. He was saying, well, he's very confident. Um, the data up to now has been very strong um, in terms of uh, safety and sustainability of effect. Um, and he's saying it's not an overly crowded market at all. Um, and saying that basically one of the main things will be it will offer you know a lot of choice to clinicians. Um, and he, he's very confident that it's going to go well. It was quite interesting what you were talking about again with about the, the safety things. Just going back to the jacks, if I may, uh, for a second. Um, obviously, when um, Rinvok got approved here, well, in Europe in, in August, and it was really striking to see how, how little discussion there was about it in terms of um, any sort of safety fears. Um, so you got thumbs up for um, well, severe topic dermatitis. And yeah, I think it was... Yeah, it was in the summer sometime anyway. Um, and it's been very interesting speaking to companies about this. And there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of concern about the safety, really. Um, and and that, that even extends to the other classes, you know, that, that you're talking about rheumatoid arthritis and so on. Um, and just to sort of talk a little bit about the class as a whole, it was interesting that... Um, company like Galapagos, who have a big deal with Gilead on their jack, uh, Phil Gottenib, 
Um, the FDA had no interest at all in looking any further at their data, trying to get an approval for rheumatoid arthritis. Whereas in Europe, it passed through fairly seamlessly. And just in the last month or so, uh, Galapagos also got a thumbs up in ulcerative colitis. So it's, it's very interesting to see how um, the difference between the US and uh, the EU um, and the UK. Yeah, I keep forgetting to put them together <laughs> to separate them, but anyway, that's another matter for another podcast. Um, but it seems that certainly when it comes to uh, jacks in Europe, there's less worries about concerns about um, safety. And as you're saying, as the topical ones come through, it's still very early days. I was also chatting to um, and the immunology chief at... Uh, UCB, who we'll get on to um, more a bit later on, um, but he was saying that um, it, it's still very much up in the air as to how Europe will respond um, further down the line to the, the safety issues to do with JAX. With topicals, there's a, in, in the UK at least, you know, there's that health, or in Europe as well, but um, there's that kind of health economic trade-off and with topicals treating um, kind of milder disease, that trade-off might not meet the hurdle in terms of reaching or achieving reimbursement status to be worthwhile. So with um, Obsolura, I'm not even sure they're targeting um, certain markets um, like the UK for that reason. And some of these other topical drugs that I've seen come in for um, psoriasis and atopic dermatitis, I'm not sure they're... Um, even going to target that market. But in terms of JAK inhibitors and Adtralza, the IL-13 that were approved, I believe that they have, um, they're going to be reviewed by NICE, the health economic body, um, next year for reimbursement um, there. So we'll see. Um, otherwise, right now, these companies, um, if they're approved, are just going to give early access um, through just discounts um, to get them onto the market there for now. Yeah, that's a, an interesting point about access. Um, I mean, in the main, for example, um, in Europe, the, the regulate the, the payers have been quite well, um, quite open and quite reasonable with companies. There's very few complaints from companies in dermatology as to how they're being treated by people like bodies like Nice and so on. Um, it, it's obviously it seems to be far easier to get reimbursement than say if you were looking at an oncology, bringing an oncology drug to market. Um, but again, um, Volker Koscielny, the, the CMO at Almoral, he was saying that it's been a little bit trickier with this, um, particularly in COVID times, um, with governments hit by cost constraints and so on. And he feels that there's been a need to justify, justify is probably too strong um, an expression, but the idea of the impact on the lives of people who are suffering from dermatological diseases is sometimes a bit tricky to make the case for when um, the purse strings are a bit tighter. Um, and he had a very interesting position, I thought, really, he was saying that quality of life may be, you know, every company talks about, you know, patience and quality of life and so on. But I think what well, his argument certainly is that in dermatology, it is, it, it is, it, it's obviously a huge factor. Um, and he came up with some very interesting points. Um, just in terms of the differences of the way dermatology is treated in Europe, in that he 
telling me about a doctor he was speaking to um, in Belgium who had an, a specialist in the topic dermatitis. And the, the, the outcomes for his patients up to now are far better than, say, in other countries in, in, in Europe, in that the way that doctors are reimbursed in Belgium means that they're given time to actually speak to patients for a, a length of time. And um, his line was, you know, you can't you can't do this in three minutes as in other places where it's a in out um, position with a physician. So that was quite an interesting um, thought. Yeah, and just a, another point on access there. Um, I was speaking with a dermatologist in the UK who was commenting on how hard it is, how potentially relatively harder it is to get access to biologics um, in the UK because of certain requirements that need to be met. It's not just failing topicals, but it's that you have to achieve a certain degree of disease clearance um, on some metric in order to get access to the more expensive biologics, which you know are hard to pay for out of pocket. Um, and how, you know, so, you know, for mild patients, they can treat with topicals. For severe patients, they can treat with the biologics because they are hitting these requirements. But for patients who have disease that is really affecting their quality of life, um, like if they have really severe scalp disease, but it's just not hitting that minimum body surface area or other criteria, they can't get access to these very effective biologics because they're not hitting certain requirements. Um, so that's also an interesting thing. And then um, some other step requirements that are are involved where you have to use kind of immunosuppressants that are not very specific um, in order to get access to biologics, just kind of muddy the waters there as well. So it's, it's kind of interesting to hear just the differences in um, access to these drugs. Just last, uh, just last one on uh, access, really. Um, so do we ever think they're going to be, these uh, drugs are going to be reimbursed, sorry, approved in the US? And if they're not improved in the US, and it's, you know, to, to kind of expand the market, will they be looking outside of Europe or, you know, our budget's going to be too small um, in emerging markets? The oral jacks, I mean, they, they are approved in the U.S. So the topical jack is approved for uh, atopic dermatitis. It does have the safety warnings, but that seems to be less of a concern. And we'll see how that one does. Um, to oral jack inhibitors, systemic jack inhibitors are also approved in other indications already. So they're just kind of pending an atopic dermatitis right now and perhaps some other indications as well. And, and um, so I expect they will be approved because they are already on the market and being used. It's just I think the FDA is a speculation. I think they will be approved. It's just they're, they're hashing out kind of the safety and the risk in this different population um, because, like I said, the RA patients, the rheumatoid arthritis patients who are using these might be an older set of patients. And, the, you know, there's just different considerations potentially for a um, population of, say, atopic dermatitis, which might be a younger population of patients. So they might be just trying to kind of uh, refine the label in terms of what they how they want to um, define what populations in which populations this could be used and which, you know, if contraindications and safety warnings, specific safety warnings and monitoring. And, and that might be um, kind of the hold up with these. But I do expect that they will be approved for atopic dermatitis um, next year. Yes, I, I, I think that the situation in Europe is really quite similar in terms of. I think there is a willingness, certainly with certainly within uh, when you speak to clinicians that they are desperate to um, get um, 
uh, a topical jack out for these patients. And um, Opsilura, I think Insight filed Opsilura with the EMA in November. And as Pammy said, you know, there's um, in terms of that, people are used to these treatments in Europe as well. They've been around a long time. And I think that often when you find this sort of somebody like Knights, for example, you often have patients that are sort of sitting in on, on their um, decisions. Well, a lot of them. And as, as Pammy was saying before, this is vital stuff for people, you know, like sort of problems with scalp and itch and so on. There's, a, there's clearly an un, unmet need there. And I think access wise, yep, I think that, um, you know, it, it's it's a big, the, 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 the cost of society of, of um, people missing work and sort of also the, the mental side of, these conditions as well it is huge and, and certainly we're taking maybe more on board particularly after uh well after well, well, as as covid progresses um i think that yeah in terms of market access for the right treatments yeah i think that there's um plenty of scope and in terms of the pipeline for um, these, these topical inhibitors i'm not really sure how many more there are behind um it's it's a market that's obviously growing, and that you see, um, for example, Leo Pharma have got um, elgocitinib in trials, which have seemed to be quite promising up to now. Um, and there's a few other ones. I think um, Claris have one. So I think that, that there's definitely scope. That there, there is a gap that could be filled with these treatments. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, there's, um, there's certainly a great unmet need in this area. I think. So yeah, to, to what Kevin was saying, I mean, the impact on quality of life is obviously um, huge. And I mentioned the itch component to atopic dermatitis. I mean, this is waking these patients up at night. Their itch is so severe. Um, and on that point, <laughs> there is a phase three candidate, nemolizumab, which targets IL-31, which has been dubbed the itch cytokine. Um, this might provide another treatment option, although projections for the commercial success of this drug have not been that high because of the side effect profile and its inability to just compete on other measures of atopic dermatitis disease clearance. Um, but earlier on in the kind of pipeline are these OX40 targeting drugs. Um, and I know I've talked to you know, dermatologist who's excited about particularly one from Amgen. Um, they are in, I think, different stages of development. Um, but the Amgen drug showed some some promising efficacy and, and even potentially a lasting effect. So after patients are off the drug, kind of a prolonged effect on the disease. So that's um, very encouraging, very promising. Um, and Kevin, I don't know if you have more insight into this uh, class here. Well, uh, yes, a little bit. In, um, I spoke to Sanofi, who um, put their hands in their pocket big time um, earlier this year to well, at the beginning of this year, really, to get hold of a, a UK biotech called Kimab. Um, and I think they put in over a billion dollars to get hold of it, which is uh, not chicken feed by any stretch. So they, uh, for, and that was mainly to get hold of um, a drug called KY1005, which is um, OX40. And I was speaking to Kimab about it, and they had been looking at maybe... There's been a lot of interest in them for a long time. They were thinking of doing an IPO in the States. There was a lot of interest, but then a lot of people were interested in them, and Sanofi won the day. And for Sanofi, it makes sense. Um, 
in terms of the therapeutic area because they have their obviously they have their depictions. So um, they're going to put a lot of money behind this in trials. Um, it's still fairly early, and so depends to see how it um, maps out. But um, they're very confident. Again, as you were mentioning, Amgen, you know, they paid an awful lot of money to get hold of um, their Ox40 targeting drug um, during the summer to um, Japanese company Kiowa Kirin. I think they paid you know, four million front. So there's a lot of cash going on here. Oh, how much are they expecting to get in return for this? Um, I, I imagine they're expecting kind of multi-billion dollar sales during the peak. Oh. Well, absolutely. I mean, because then, you know, they have people on the ground everywhere with the Depixons. You know, Depixons there is come to Sanofi's biggest seller in the variety of indications that they have. Um, and they think they can add to it, you know, that they're becoming a, a, a major player in sort of immunology and inflammatory diseases and, and dermatology. And this is a, a real area for them. So, yes, they think that they can make a lot of money. They, they, these guys don't put up a, a billion up front if they don't think they're going to get a very substantial return. Yeah, cool. That sounds like a really exciting uh, deal for Snoffy. Um, so let's move on to um, the next half of our talk, which is on psoriasis. Um, so I'm just going to hand this back to you, Pammy, so if you can describe the current landscape for this area. Yeah, of course. So as we've kind of discussed, psoriasis is a very crowded market now. Um, there are several highly effective biologics available across different classes. Um, the disease is more characterized by kind of subtypes, and um, physicians really need to take into account comorbidities when considering treatment options for individual patients, so it's very personalized um, treatment paths. Um, in terms of the classes and, and drugs available, we have IL-23 antagonists. These work particularly well in patients with plaque psoriasis, and AbbVie's Skyrizi is just achieving excellent formulary placement, no surprise, um, despite being somewhat later to the market. Um, in a good chunk of patients that of psoriasis patients that do also have comorbid psoriatic arthritis, IL-17 antagonists um, kind of are, are a bit of a go-to. They have excellent disease clearance. Um, TALTS is really gaining momentum against the more established cosentics. Um, though older and less efficacious, the broad broad label and legacy use of TNF inhibitors that still gives this class a place among these newer, better competitors. Um, affordability also drives use in places where biosimilars are available. So, um, you know, biosimilar, Humira, or Adalimumab, um, which will be coming into the market in the U.S., but in other areas are already available, um, and so they might be preferred. Um, and then areas of un high unmet need just include more efficacious oral options, since, you know, it's a very saturated market, lots of really effective biologics, but there really aren't that many oral options for these patients. And, you know, they, that these would be kind of used over kind of oral immunosuppressants, retinoids, and the PDE4 inhibitor, Otesla. Um, so th those are really like kind of the the areas of highest need in psoriasis uh, right now. Um, so Pam, one of the drugs I've been wondering about for psoriasis is UCB's bimikizumab. So what do you think are the prospects for this drug? Yeah, so um, UCB is uh, bimikizumab. It's an IL-17 AF inhibitor, so it's kind of got a more robust 
um, inhibition of the IL-17 pathway relative to the currently available IL-17A agents. Um, in terms of efficacy, it actually is performing better than these IL- IL-17A agents. But in talking to U.S. dermatologists, they really don't think that even though it is better, um, the numbers are higher, um, the PASI numbers are higher, they, they don't really see this difference as meaningful enough to drive immediate switching from, you know, say, TALTs or Consentix, um, or even, you know, putting new patients on the drug. They, they mentioned, you know, it's just really not that, not that um, meaningful in terms of they're just more comfortable, they're going to stick with what they're already comfortable prescribing. Um, and, you know, the, the more robust inhibition of this pathway also does come with higher rates of candidiasis, which again, is a side effect that is just, it's considered manageable. So it's um, something that's not really a high concern, um, like with the Jack class <laughs> cardiovascular effects, but it is something that um, we're seeing higher rates of this um, with abimicizumab. So, you know, in the U.S., they might, even though they say that, you know, some of them might even say, be excited about the data, say the data looks great, they might be slower to adopt this, um, and it, it might take a bit of a longer time, whereas um, I talked to a dermatologist in the UK who was very excited about this, especially prospects when you consider the data in psoriatic arthritis as well. So um, it's kind of an interesting contrast there. Um, and Kevin, I think you can speak to how, you know, kind of the European perspective there and, and UCB's kind of um, take on that. Absolutely, Pammy. Yes. No, um, yes. Um, well, I've been following Bimakizumab, what it's only called B, I think. Um, I've been following it for a long time. Um, and UCB, you know, really put a huge clinical package behind um, the drug, which is obviously approved here. It's in the States, still, wait, still waiting for inspections and facilities, I think, before it gets the thumbs up, which I think most people think will happen. Uh, I think, um, again, as I mentioned before, speaking to the immunology boss, Emmanuel Kymex. Um, apologies, Emmanuel, if you're listening, you forgot the pronunciation wrong. Um, he's got a lot of Y's and X's in his name. But... Um, I digress. It's they're very, very pleased with the way the launch has gone in Europe. Um, they've already they set a target of um, you know of having 35% of the European population covered and funded by the end of this year, um, which was quite an ambitious target. And I spoke to him recently, and it's going very well. Um, got an endorsement from Nice very quickly things are very very quick indeed um and they found it's very similar in germany as well so in germany where they have not had to wait for the gba to make up their mind and things the different um pricing regulators there they've been very happy with the data and it, it's going well and in in most countries in europe um you know access they're getting access certainly um and when I asked him, obviously, about the U.S. situation, and he's, he's really is quite confident. I mean, Emmanuel was talking about how he said, you know, UCB have had extensive discussions with his um, lines, virtually every payer in the country, whether that be PBMs or the downstream health plans. Um, and and he, he maintains that they're very motivated to create a, a path for access. And I say on a clinical level, Certainly in Europe, that, that, is, that is pushing things um, very, very much so. Um, and it's very interesting for you to hear you say, Pammy, that um, some physicians are going, well, regardless of that, we're not going to um, 
switch patients or even put new ones on, which seems to be the opposite here in Europe. Um, because it's dual inhibition, there um, you find that clinicians are very happy because because of the data package that UCB put out. You know it. It, you know, in head, they did a lot of head-to-head trials. They've beaten the IL-23s, they've beaten Humira, they've beaten um, the biggest-selling IL-17 Cosentics, uh, um, and, and that's what's impressing them. So they are, they think it's an extremely good option, and have been convinced by the idea of um, this dual inhibition as being much better for sort of. I think one of the points for the IL-17s is people were saying they'd be used more for sort of um, rapid treatment but with the effects sort of wearing off, whereas the, the dual inhibition would seem to be, and the people I've spoken to, um, something that, that, that marks it out as a, a better treatment. Um, but there was also a thing about, again, with the US, you know, UCB is going up against some massive names, you say, you know, sort of the Noartises and, and the Abvies in this field. But they, they've been putting time in there. They've put a lot of money in as well. They've invested a lot of money in this area. And they've also been helped by um, the fact that they do have people on the ground and have had for a long time with their uh, TNF Simsia, which is a very slow burn treatment. It's approved for various things. Um, but in, in psoriasis, I think it was particularly... Um, it, it was slow moving, but they, they found certain niche markets where they've able to um, get Simsia to patients there. And this, this is a $2 billion drug for them as well. So, you know, the, the fact that they're um, last of the game doesn't necessarily mean that they'll stay last. And uh, they're very confident that they will be able to move up. Yeah, that's really interesting. It sounds like um, they are kind of putting emphasis on, you know, access, and they're very confident about that in the U.S. Um, one area they might want to... Um, just look into to ensure kind of the this is getting trickling down to physicians who'd ultimately be prescribing this are medical science liaisons or just you know people that have direct contact with these physicians like they do with Simzia um, just making sure that they're really putting the message out there um, for bimikizumab because you know that that will impact um, just familiarity with the drug as well and comfort with prescribing it and being able to ask for physicians dermatologists to be able to ask questions about it I know this year um, in the US we saw this formulary shift where Taltz was actually placed above Cosentix um, and so you know that that's interesting because um, you know just it's it's disruptive it's non-medical switching um for a lot of these uh, dermatologists whereas some don't really care and there's just uh it's interesting how all of this plays into their prescribing habits and um they've commented on you know how their relationships with these medical science liaisons from the companies and how you know lily maybe isn't getting out there as much as some other companies like novartis um so you know, that's another area to consider in terms of um, just kind of getting these physicians more familiar with the drug more rapidly, I guess. Yes, I mean, I think that's that is the thing of getting um, this was, again, another thing that Emmanuel was talking about, of, of actually getting in front of physicians and telling them. And again, that uh, COVID had been a problem, obviously, with very little sort of face to face contact. It's been extremely challenging. Um, and as you said, particularly in psoriasis, where you have a market that's so well established and it, it's there is a need that's being met there. Um, but there is still that challenge of 
you know, as you say, get in front of the clinicians and physicians and saying, listen, this is this is what we've got. And it has been a problem for them. So it will take a while, I think. They're, they're, they're very well aware of that, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also, it was, there was another interesting thing about the dual inhibition area in that um, there's a company that has um, appeared sort of, it's um, a, 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 a SPAC job um, called Moon Lake from Switzerland who are also going through, uh, following this um, dual inhibition, IL-17A, IL-17F approach. Um, and, you know, so, some analysts thought, well, is this a challenge to UCB already? But not really. They're really more looking at um, things like uh, psoriatic arthritis um, uh, and uh, AS as well, um, because they feel that psoriasis that UCB's treatment is very strong in this area. Um, so they're looking at you know, other conditions. I think that their treatment is um, something called uh, sonilocumab. That's it. Um, and again, speaking to UCB and Emmanuel, he was saying, that, you know, it, it kind of welcomes them being there because it's the idea of, it, it validates this idea of dual inhibition. Um, and he said it's just good to see people who sort of understand the field and understand the science. Um and he, he finds it encouraging, whereas a few years ago, perhaps people didn't really think it was, it was terribly necessary um, to have yet another IL-17 or even with dual inhibition on the market. So I think with UCB, they're in with um, a very good chance here to make a, a dent, though, as you said, Pam, it takes some time. Okay, um, thanks for that. I was just wondering is uh, if there was any augment needs for oral uh, treatments in psoriasis at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's that's the, probably the biggest area for psoriasis being so saturated. As we mentioned, these companies are um, targeting the same pathways. They're now looking at other indications because if you have a biologic or um, whatnot, you're, you're not really... Um, it's not even worth going to psoriasis because you're going to be so far, so late to market. Um, so, yeah, oral therapies is just, you know... There's a huge unmet need there in psoriasis. We have Otesla and, like I said, retinoids and some immunosuppressants, but that, that's just um, Otesla isn't the greatest. Um, it's not it's not nearly as good as these biologics. Um, so while it's an option, it's not quite um, sufficient. As and it's also the sole option, right? Or basically the the sole branded option here. So. Um, there is BMS is um, has submitted the tyrosine kinase inhibitor ducravacitinib for approval in the U.S., Europe, and Japan. Um, unfortunately, this drug does fall under that Jack family that we talked about. Um, so we've already discussed kind of the class-related safety concerns. Um, so it will be interesting to kind of see how the FDA deals with that. Um, uh, hopes my hopes wouldn't be too high considering they put all these warnings onto the topical drug that has little systemic absorption. Um, but you know, obviously BMS is going to lobby against that. Um, and it's interesting because we've kind of talked a lot about the contrast between perceptions in the U.S. and Europe. Um, and this may be another area where U.S. dermatologists just may be a bit more cautious to use this drug than specialists um, because of the safety concerns associated with the Jack class. So it's, it's just really interesting kind of the contrast there. 
Um, and I should say that while this ducravacitinib, while it's a kinase inhibitor, uh, the company will be quick to differentiate this treatment as an allosteric inhibitor rather than binding to the active ATP site. It's also highly selective for TIC2, so um, it may be less likely to kind of you know, and have these safety concerns or concerning lab results or um, some of these other um, cardiovascular and cancer and all some of these other um, concerns. But again, we need longer term data to really confirm that. Um, but in terms of the oral market here in psoriasis, this drug, Ducrabacitinib, it is meaningfully superior to Otesla. Um, and it's not associated with the same gastrointestinal side effects that lead to kind of the frequent discontinuation of Otesla that we've seen. So lots of promise still. Um, in each of these areas, but I would say, you know, atopic dermatitis is <laughs> really, really hot right now um, with a lot more kind of a lower bar for entry into market and just a lot more opportunity relative to psoriasis, which is a little bit more saturated. Yes, I would agree with you completely there on that one, Pammy, that, you know, atopic dermatitis, um, you know, you see a lot more biotech sort of if you're looking to raise money, it's definitely an area where people are interested. You know, it's um, huge unmet need and there is um, huge interest. And maybe people start yawning a bit when you talk about psoriasis, though it's still that huge unmet need there as well. There is an awful lot of scope for atopic dermatitis treatments, definitely. Dermatology in, in the main is still a very exciting area, I think. Definitely. Okay, thanks both. Um... Yeah, it sounds really exciting for both, uh, well, especially for atopic dermatitis and psoriasis. Um, so thanks for joining me for the podcast. Uh, and if you're interested in atopic dermatitis and psoriasis, uh, please have a look at uh, PAMI's disease analysis reports, uh, as well as following some of Kevin's script articles. Um, that's it for this week's podcast. And bye for now.